Thank you for joining the Once Changing the World, which is India's first feature tech meets sustainability podcast. And today, I'm delighted and honored to have with me Dr. Shivananda Koteshwar, who's a speaker, mentor, author, investor, and advisor, who has over 27 years of experience in the semiconductor industry and is currently the Silicon Realization and Custom Design Manufacturing Group site leader and R&D head of Synopsys India. He is a mentor of change at the Atal Innovation Mission. Niti Aayog Government of India SIG member Electronics Sector Skills Council of India startup mentor in Ministry of Electronics and Information Technology and IIT Skill Development Working Group member Dr Shivananda is a Bangalore chapter member at the Singularity University he is also active in mentoring startups in the edtech space so doctor really appreciate you taking time and being part of the podcast Now, so why don't we start with explaining first what are semiconductors how does it work and and, and how are they made sure um, first of all thank you very much uh, for the invite uh, let me try to answer this question because you asked three questions in one question so let me try to break it up and uh, let's start at the what part of it. so semiconductors are basically the materials uh, which have conductivity between conductors which is usually metals and non conductors or insulators such as glass so it has something in between the conductors and the insulators and these are pure uh, it can be pure elements such as uh, silicon or germanium or compound elements such as uh, gallium arsenide or cadmium uh, selenide i think these are the two compound most uh, used compounds uh, for most of the uh, products and devices we have seen uh, silicon for example is used in electronic circuit fabrication and gallium arsenide is primarily used in solar cells and laser diodes so depending on the application you choose the right elements uh, for it um one of the most important thing we need to know about semiconductors is the conducting properties of this um can be altered in using ways of introducing impurities which we call it as doping into the crystal structure so depending on the type of doping or the impurities we put in this crystals we can create n type or a p type uh, transistor and usually the technology what we use is called a cmos transistor technology which primarily uses both the n type and the p type uh, transistors this is primarily the fundamental block for building circuits in semiconductors how does it work um, in layman terms uh, i can just try to explain this semiconductors or a transistor for example here is is kind of a three uh, you know gate switch so you have uh, uh, you know the gate based on the Uh, voltage you apply on the gate you, you basically short the the other two ports so basically it works as a switch um so you can think of a simple switch you have a light switch you have in your house um the force is what you apply on the switch and depending on uh, how you apply the force and where you apply the force either the light is on or off a very similar analogy can be used for the working of uh, semiconductors which is primarily the basic components which is a transistor which is used as a switch Uh, and the circuit is built on top of it so usually the semiconductors are used as switching or even amplification um so first of all uh, the the last part of the question was uh, uh, how do you uh, you know how do you make semiconductors so silicon is made from sand and which is the most abundant element on earth of course after oxygen so silicon wafers are made using a, a type of sand called a silica sand which is primarily made of silicon dioxide not just any sand but silica sand is usually quarried for this purpose and this has a very high concentration of quartz or silicon dioxide almost as high as 95% so the sand is melted and casted in a form of large cylinders which are called as ingots this ingot is then sliced into thin wafers and this is the starting material of how we uh, you know start the semiconductor process and actually the manufacturing process goes through very complex uh, different stages um the after the ingot is done you get into deposition photoresist coating lithography etching ionization and packaging now these are very uh, you know highly technical uh, steps which which the ingot goes through uh, to finally we get the product out of this um and the semiconductor industry lives and dies by a simple creed smaller faster and cheaper and and you can see multiple products around us which actually follows this uh, principle uh, just to let you know there are more than 100 billion integrated circuits in daily use around the world right now 
uh, that's pretty much equal to the number of stars in our corner of the Milky Way galaxy. I mean, just to make you understand the scale of semiconductors around us. We have managed to power everything that we currently you use an interface or you know your, your products the power of homes or businesses are powered by semiconductors and you mentioned that these these semiconductors i mean the process of building them it's it, it's through sand and and you know you, we through on on these semiconductors there's billions and billions of transistors stacked on it now can you describe the process because you know when you're talking about billions of these transistors on on a semiconductor how do we go about doing that you know because and, and what's the state of the art in technology you know because at this point in time you know the current semiconductors we've got a quasi 7 nanometer chip how does that work and and where, where's the state of the art of technology when when, when you're building these semiconductors Definitely. As you rightly said, we are working on uh, different nodes. And uh, one of the nodes, which most of the products are coming out right now, is uh, 7 nanometer devices. Uh, we have already started looking at 5 nanometers, and we pretty much at, we, right now we're working on 3 nanometers right now. And, and just imagine, we are talking about nanometers here, right? I mean, 10 to the power of uh, minus 9. That's the kind of size uh, at which we are working right now. And the entire semiconductors right now is, um, you might have heard about this Moore's law, and that, that's kind of, a, um, it, it's not a law actually, but this is a kind of a statement with which we are all working on. Um, this is actually an observation made by Gordon Moore, who was a co-founder of Intel, way back in 1965. And he basically made an observation and said, the number of transistors in a device doubles every two years or 18 months. Um, and, and that's exactly, it was a statement which was made by Gordon Moore, and that pretty much became a law. So it's it's not a law in legal sense, or even a proven theory in scientific sense, but it actually gives us the directions. And today's chips, as you rightly said, we are talking about 65 billion transistors in one chip. And, um, uh, and there are a lot of debates around Moore's law. Some people say it doesn't apply, some people say it applies. Um, and where is it going? Has it reached the limit? These are the typical uh, comments you will see in semiconductor industries. Of course, while the exponential growth has deaccelerated compared to where we were, we definitely continue to see an increase in transistor density uh, for a few more years. I think there is still juice in this. And of course, there are some changes which we have to do as designers to keep up uh, with what we need to be achieved. Um, and of course, there are a lot more innovations which is happening beyond shrinking physical components. Moore's law focused primarily on shrinking physical components and so that you can put more transistors on a device. Remember, more transistors means more functionality. And that's the whole idea, right? If you have to make uh, um, a chip smaller, uh, which means you need to, uh, the, the advantage of making the chip smaller is, of course, it can be compacted. You can make the product much smaller or you can think of increasing the functionality with the same size of the chip. So that's that's where we are looking at. The transistors literally are approaching the size of a single atom right now. And that's where the functionality starts getting compromised because uh, you know at, at this level, behavior of electrons at that scale starts uh, compromised. So that's where the challenges are happening right now. So what happens now? Um, so is it the death of the Moore's law? Definitely not. So right now, what is happening is software is supercharging scale. So it's not just about uh, scaling, physical uh, scaling, but it is actually about systematic complexity or something we call it as sysmorera. So this is where we get the classic more towards where we expect the curve to be. Um, there are multiple techniques and technologies which is adopted here, um, uh, something like domain-specific architectures, energy-efficient designs, silicon lifecycle management, multi-dice or 3D ICs, uh, which you might have heard, the integration of cloud and AI, and you know, looking at new device architectures. Basically, you're not just working in silicon or the device level, but we start working at the chip system, software, and even at the services level in the Sysmore era. And I think that is what keeping the Moore's law alive right now. So you know, we have heard about Moore's law being replaced by Neven's law right now. Uh, again, Neven's law, which, which basically talks about exponential growth rather than a linear growth. Um, it is named after Hertman Neumann, the director of Google's quantum artificial intelligence. So it's very interesting to, to see in the next years um, where we will reach uh, both with Moore's law and uh, Neumann's law. Right. So, so exciting space. You know, here we are. 
kind of probing you know atom scales uh, uh, transistor and, and you mentioned that you know when you're probing these a- atom scale transistors you know the quantum properties kind of kicks in you know so uh, uh, and you, you said you know i mean it, it, there possibly there's no limit maybe you know there is newman's law which hartman says okay, that you know maybe there's a full system architecture change you know maybe we'll go from binary uh, computing to qubits maybe the, the, the quantum uh, computing space could could you kind of uh, dwell a little bit more on that and, and somebody who's been uh, at, at the forefront in in the semiconductor a- industry what's your perspective what's your take on, on this transition that we are seeing from uh, the debate that we are kind of reaching the limit of the moore's law to that alternate you know com- computing a- a- architecture that we might em- embark on what's your your view on that so first of all more than my views i think what's important for all of us to understand is what are we doing with the moore's law itself what are the different technologies alternative technologies which is being explored by which we are still able to keep up uh, to the trends of what needs to be done so integrated circuits as you rightly said are limited by the atomic scale right now and the issue of electronic tunneling is causing a lot of problems that's where the quantum computing enters right we are talking about quantum computers um almost 100 trillion times faster than the conventional supercomputer so definitely future is quantum computing uh as as i told you earlier newton's law proposed by hartman newton who is the director of google's quantum labs provides the theory on the potential improvement capabilities of quantum computers uh, primarily he mentioned that the power in improving at a doubly exponential growth compared to the conventional company so he talks about uh, the quantum computing power is growing by the powers of 2 and not a linear progression so we are talking about 2 to the power of 2 2 to the power of 4 2 to the power of 8 and so on um it's very enticing i mean the production is really really enticing it, it relies on limited data and doesn't consider technical problems um because uh, processors become more complex computational errors can happen due to electronic noise and the impact of additional backup hardware also taints newton's prediction right now yes there is a lot of uh, investment and research happening in that space but let's come back to the moore's law itself uh, where we start looking at you know geometric scaling definitely has reached the limits as we are approaching the atomic level right now of scale in contrast equivalent scaling allows 3d design for example uh, we are looking at new materials to affect electronic performance so diversification through more than more uh, can happen and help us in this journey so there are multiple alternative technologies which is being explored and implemented two things which i want to mention is the 3d ics and the chiplets and sips um so let me just explain you what 3d ics are right so if you have heard of a terminology called soc which is system on chip the trend right now is moving from system on chips to system off chips that's where the 3d ics come into play so this is about vertically stacking different chips onto the same package so there are two two types of 3d ics we do one is called disintegration the other one is called as integration now what is disintegration so you look at a monolithic design start partitioning into different dies and then bring it together into a simple package now the advantage of this is actually it optimizes cost plus it deals with large scaling requirements so if you're talking about high performance computing you're talking about ai you're talking about mobile disintegration or disaggregation is what happens uh, in 3d ics but when you look at uh, uh, designs which are traditionally done as different chips are coming together under the same package we are looking at different process nodes in order to deliver combined system in a single package this is primarily driven by ppa requirements ppa stands for power performance area requirements so whenever you have ppa requirements you look at integration and not really disaggregation uh what are the applications of some of these integrations when we design chips or networking uh ethernet switches uh, co-patching optics um this is where integration happens so in 3d ics which is primarily the vertical stacking we are actually uh, looking at two types of uh, 3d ics here disaggregation or disintegration and integration so this is one primary driver right now which is helping go beyond uh, moore's law the second one is sip or a system in package so here uh, there is a terminology which you might have heard called as a chiplet now what is a chiplet chiplet is a tiny integrated circuit or ic that contains a well defined subset of functionality 
So it is designed to be combined with other chiplets. Uh, think of it like a mix and match Legolite assembly, right? You have different chiplets, you put it together and you get a system out of it. Uh, the advantage of chiplets, of course, is reusable IPs because you can start using the same chiplet in multiple devices. Uh, you can start looking at heterogeneous integrations because now you can have a chiplet fabricated in one uh, particular node. You can have another chiplet actually done at a different node because you want to optimize a particular function. Uh, chiplets can be tested even before assembly so the yield of the final devices goes up big time. Uh, is chiplet something new? Definitely not. Intel has been shipping chiplets based design since 2016. Um, and and uh, um, you know, we started with side-by-side -side integration of, uh, uh, you know, chiplets, which is primarily called as 2.5D because you are not doing vertical stacking, but you're doing side-by-side -side integration. But right now, SIP is primarily a chip that assembles several dies or several chiplets into a single package. These can either be replicas of the same chiplet or uh, to enable increased performance or different chiplets that uh, helps us bring down the cost. So SIP is again another uh, technique in which we are able to uh, go beyond Moore's law. And uh, just to let you know, Intel wants to achieve one trillion transistors on a package by 2030 using chiplets, and that's that's what the whole industry is working towards right now. So as I told you earlier, there is a lot of juice still left in uh, Moore's law, and I am sure you will see many other techniques and technologies which will help us uh, keep it alive. Today, at least, you know, I mean, you know, in the, in the space of Web3, you know, we're we, we talking about, you know, decentralization, interoperability and openness of working, you know. And in fact, even in the industries, you know, such as AI, you know, there are f f companies who are looking at open sourcing things, you know, and open collaborative approach. And I guess that well, that was extremely beneficial for the entire world, which which uh, that that the nature of working in 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 collaboration uh, that was plain to see because of COVID. You know, it, normally you know when you create a vaccine, it it's a period of five to eight years from creating a product to taking it to the market. But then uh, everything was accelerated and was done in a matter of possibly a few months, and and that only and only happened because of collaboration, and and that's the power of collaboration, and that's the that's I think the ethos the underlying ethos of web 3 which is the the evolution of the internet uh, of what i see is, is that we still taking the approach of web 2 which is closed uh, when it comes to chip building do you see in the future to accelerate this uh, digitization of the entire world through these chips because these are the underlying core uh, uh, mechanism for you know acceleration of technology and taking us the, the entire human race into the future which possibly could be abandoned rather than you know the, the, the conversation of scarcity do you see uh, fabs uh, manufacturing units of semiconductors exploring that opportunity of learning from you know different sources ra rather than siloed approach to possibly accelerate maybe going beyond one nanometer, possibly exploring a different architecture itself. Is that something that people are looking at at this point in time? First of all, you need to understand the different uh, uh, stakeholders or different uh, parts of the entire ecosystem. Right? So you have uh, companies which is designing tools, uh, which is used for designing chips. You have companies which is making intellectual properties, which can be reused by different companies. You have companies focusing on a specific application or an ASIC, um, which they're trying to work on PPAC, which we call it as uh, earlier it used to, the terminologies which we used to was PPAS, which is Power Performance Area and Schedule. But today we talk about PPAC, which is Power Performance Area Cost and Time to Market. So that's the uniqueness of, of that particular chip. Like every other industry, Semiconductor industry also goes through the cycles of generalization and specialization, right? So usually everybody comes together, collaborates and starts generalizing the platform so that it's easier for scale. Then you start losing an edge compared to the your competition or compared to the other companies. That's where you start working on specialization. So I think we are in this cycle of generalization and specialization. And today we are at the peak of specializations. And that's the reason why you see Every car manufacturing company, for example, every um, you know uh, high performance computing companies, 
using their own chips and not using a general purpose microprocessor, right? That's a completely different uh, approach to what you just mentioned, right? Can we all work together and come out with a base microcontroller or my, uh, you know, uh, architecture which can be used by everybody? Yes, of course, can be used, but you lose an edge. You start losing uh, your edge and uh, value proposition becomes uh, difficult. So just to make sure that you have a great entry barrier, most of the companies have started designing their own chips. And I think that trend is going to continue for some time because every car manufacturer, for example, today, 80% of car today is electronics. Now, if you want to uh, have an edge or another manufacturer, you better have your own chip. You better have your own software. You better have your own services around this uh, chip and software. So today we are at the peak of specialization curve, and I think it's going to continue forever. At the same time, beyond, for example, ARM architecture, um, the, the whole of the industry is exploring risk architecture, which is primarily something uh, which started off as a university project, but today you, you're seeing multiple companies coming out with solutions, collaborating, working together on designs on the risk. So yes, there, there is uh, uh, enough effort going on in generalization, but at the same time, there is enough effort going in the specialization also. Um, when we look at manufacturing, for example, there are very few manufacturing companies in the world. And uh, TSMC, which is in Taiwan, pretty much manufactures more than, I think, 60, 65% of the chips, which you know, uh, which hits the market around us. So, and it's a very high investment uh, project. So if you, if the TSMC has to survive, they have to ensure their machines are running, their specialized technologies are kicking in to come out with the best of the chips moving forward. So that's where specialization helps. So I think we'll go both hand in hand in terms of specialization and generalization. That's, that's my take on the whole thing. Right, right. You you mentioned about TSMC being you know providing possibly the sixty percent of uh, chips globally, and and they they are the ones who I mean supply to everyone. I mean you know from Apple, Intel, Qualcomm, AMD, name it, everyone. You know, uh, and and there's this. I mean somebody I think wrote a book on how uh, you know semiconductors could be the next reason for World War Three. Uh, <laughs> But it is driving the future of a world because, you know, right from our phones to our computers to, you know, the autonomous vehicles that's going to come in. And everybody wants to, you know, retain that little edge because, you know, the edge will give you, you know, benefits over other nations. So could you, I mean, talk about, you know, can that be it, it, it's a probable is it a probable scenario could uh, the semiconductors be a reason for world war three so you know a couple of months back i was hearing that scarcity of water might become the reason for world war three and looking at the rains in Bangalore right now i think that problem is solved i don't think you need to worry about water anymore um, but you know coming back to semiconductors i don't think semiconductors would be the reason but the global race for artificial intelligence can actually cause the World War III. I think that's where uh, we need to be careful. Um, tiny microchips might actually emerge as an ultimate peacekeeper, not really the reason for a World War III. And um, if you really look at uh, semiconductors, it's today it's the most potent weapon, and a trillion dollar economist is, uh, is, is surrendered to the power of mere three nanometer microchip right now, right? Uh, sounds very outlandish, but today in 2022, it's nothing but the truth. The insignificant entity, right, entity unseen by human eyes, the microchip or the microprocessor, not only controls virtually everything we own or operate, but also threatens a total blackout if a microchip industry was to be destroyed, for example. If, if somebody goes and destroys the four or five apps in the world, pretty much you have a complete blackout in the whole world because literally every solution, every vertical, healthcare, construction, the semiconductor uh, products, the computing, the storage, the gaming industry, everything is using microchip industry. So in a way, you're right. It's it's the most critical part today. We got to be careful about it. And um, coming back to the foundry market, for example, it's, it's almost worth $110 billion in 2021. And it's increasing by almost 20% right now. And I think in 2022, we have already touched $130 billion. Taiwan dominates the foundry market. And uh, most of the manufacturing happens there. And um, as I told you earlier, if you really look at uh, you know, TSMC, uh, Global Foundries, uh, you know, the Samsung, 
and the China, they pretty much cover 65-70% of the total uh, global found, uh, you know, the, uh, foundry revenues right now. Uh, just looking at TSMC, uh, if you look at the market share, as I told you, 56 to 60% of semiconductors in the world is uh, manufactured by TSMC. Um, and, um, you know, as of the latest data, what we saw, um, uh, China is at $104 billion, US is $55 billion, Hong Kong at $50 billion, and Japan at uh, $24 billion. That's the kind of uh, uh, market which the TSMC is commanding right now. Um, USA, as, as we have seen, uh, is convincing TSMC um, on to establish a uh, manufacturing base in US right now. Um, and we are seeing a lot of traction around it. Arizona is something which has been picked up by TSMC. And by 2024, you will have a fab in US. Um, recently, we saw US Congress has passed the Chips and Science Act, which actually provides a booster of $52 billion in subsidies to support semiconductor manufacturing in US. Um, and again, is this enough? Definitely not. You need more investments in the market. Um, US chip industry right now is at least five years away from meeting even the 50% demand of the chip requirement. So you will see a lot of traction, a lot of investments in, in these areas. Non-availability of most of the modern chips can bring uh, uh, you know, the world into a grinding halt in terms of development, production of everything around us, whether it's weapons, space, uh, launch vehicles and everything. So it's very, very important today to be self-sufficient in terms of not just in design, but also in the manufacturing. And we are seeing this uh, across the world right now. Yes, the dependency on TSMC will continue, absolutely no doubt about that. Uh, but at the same time, every country will start investing on their own uh, boundaries so that they're self-sufficient in this uh, market. Over the years, I mean, you know, um, earlier, I think technology was in, in, in a very linear space, you know, uh, the, the first kind of uh, computer was, you know, a room sized, you know, and, and, and then, you know, we, we started the process of miniaturizing thing. And, you know, in, in these miniaturizing things, you know, they, it, it's, it's almost endless, you know, how how smaller uh, we, we can go, you know, and, and uh, with, with the AR, VR glasses, you know, I mean, A, first of all, you know, we've got a mini computer in a pocket with the with these phones but then now we're going from carrying technology to wearing technology possibly you know with these ar vr mr glasses we are actually going to be fitting a computer inside our glasses and and, and these these uh then there's this iot where the digitization of the world where we'll be chipping everything you know sensorizing the entire world we, we're getting in in a very exciting space you know and then there's this uh, the, the recent i mean everybody who's been talking about is the, is the metaverse and web 3.0 you know how that is going to be powering the future so somebody who, who who's going to be at the back end you know powering this a, a entire uh, revolution if you might call of us upending as, as the human race could you kind of give a few examples on you know in the next 10 years what are those technologies which the semiconductor industry is going to power, which is going to completely upend the way we do education, healthcare, work, or sports. Again, coming back to the two main things, right? Whenever we look at uh, semiconductors right now, every company in our ecosystem primarily is working on better computing, better network, and more storage. I think these are the three things which drives us, right? You need faster computing, you need more storage, you need uh, better networking so that you can connect uh, to the rest of the devices or the rest of the world. I think these are the three primary drivers we have in the market right now. And every project we take is around improving all or some of these factors of PPACT, right? The power, performance, area, cost, time to market. It's all about these five parameters. So every designer today works on each one of these parameters and try to improvise it every release, right? That, that's exactly what we're working on right now. The, you asked me what's going to change the whole market. I think microchips right now, which we are working on, which will mimic the human brain, could make AI far more energy efficient. Right now, AI is not energy efficient. So a lot of research, a uh, lot of companies around us actually are trying to work and look at neuromorphic chips, which we call it as pretty much chips which are mimicking the human brain is what we are looking at. 
if you are able to achieve it, it can actually cut down the power de uh, you know, demands of digital assistants or multiple other devices around us by orders of magnitude. Now, if, if you really uh, ask, uh, you know, ask me analogy, uh, you'll be surprised to know our brain only requires 20 watts of power, right? Which is same as energy efficient light bulb. And I think that's the reason why they use a light bulb uh, to show that you got an idea. It's just 20 watts of power. And just imagine a computer system developed with similar power requirements. I think that's going to change the world. Right? The whole effort is trying to make sure we design a neuromorphic chip which consumes lesser and lesser power and can start thinking like a human brain. Um, now, if you really look at neuromorphic systems, one of the key difference in a neuromorphic system is it actually performs on-chip processing asynchronously, not synchronously, because it's like our brains, right? So whenever there is an event-driven processing, you start looking at, you know, addressing complex computational problems. And this is, this is where the chips will start having ability to learn continuously. I think this is the next generation AR, which might be thousand times or more energy efficient. Such advances could lead to huge leaps in performance, complex software, and uh, if you are looking at driverless car, language uh, translation, everything, this is where the application will come. And if you ask me if any companies are working on it, definitely yes, Intel's out of the world, IBM, Google, and multiple other chip makers have started experimenting with neuromorphic chips. I think that's where the future will come from. Uh, that's where the future uh, will will go, right? And, uh, and and right now, you know, I was reading a paper recently. Um, an international team of researchers have already designed and built a chip that runs computationally directly in memory and can run a wide variety of AI applications. So today, when, whenever we look at AI applications, you have a cloud where the processing is done, and you have an edge device where most of the data is being uh, collected. Now, biggest bottleneck we have is to send the data which is collected in the edge device to the cloud to do the computing and getting it back. Just imagine if everything can be done in the edge, the advantages we will have. So that's where the future is going. I think future neuromorphic uh, setups may even one day begin to explore how the multitude of neural firing patterns work together to produce consciousness. That's where the machines are going. And many people are against it. Many people have already warned that the machines, if they start thinking and behaving like humans, it can be dangerous. Um, I'm I'm an optimistic uh, person. I think we should be able to manage that. Uh, but I think the future is very, very exciting. When we look at uh, miniaturization, what does miniaturization do? It actually provides flexibility around solutions. Uh, miniaturization means integration, which means you can start putting more and more features into the ICs. And it reduces the cost in a big way. And um, it actually helps designers make applications better and faster. Um, every industry, as you said, aerospace, communication, IoT, um, automotive segments, space technologies, healthcare, every vertical will get benefited due to this mini uh, miniaturization. So I think these are the two things which is going to drive uh, future, right? Miniaturization of chips, computing, uh, and and having AI applications on the edge device. I think that's that's where the future is. And um, I'll not be surprised uh, very soon having machines which has uh, consciousness. I think that's where I would want to see the technology uh, driving the, each and every vertical, what you just saw. So, yes, I, I think the foundational layer of great innovation is imagination. And I, I, I think we, we, we've been pushed into a world where, where impossible is looking possible and we yeah, need yeah. more people to kind of push on that because that that's how we go beyond and build innovations which could take us from you know the present narrative of scarcity to a future of abundance and and, and that's all possible because i think tech could be that partner uh, which could help us you know as a nation as as a world you know, completely grow and, and become, you know, have that future of uh, abundant. Now, uh, India as a nation has really, uh, you know, catching has a catching up game to play because, you know, with the semiconductor space, it, it, it's not been really active. But recently, it, it's created it, the India's semiconductor mission. So, could, could, so, so somebody who's been invested in the space for over 30 years, could you talk about 
you know your your views on it and what india needs to do to kind of drive this conversation forward so that you can leverage all of these tech, tech which is could be possible if we accelerate our semiconductor uh, industry oh, definitely i think uh, see today we import 100% of the chips right from uh, taiwan singapore vietnam etc i think india wants to move from being a chip taker to a chip maker and and uh, with the advent of e vehicles Uh, the demand for semiconductors uh, is and you know really anticipated to skyrocket with demand steadily increasing for smartphones consumer electronics TVs laptops gaming and other other different uh, devices today the global semi market in 2020 was around 440 billion dollars and by 2030 it's expected to be touching a trillion dollars and uh, 15 billion dollars is the size of the indian semicon market in 2020 and is estimated to reach uh, around 63 billion to 70 billion by 2026 so it's very important for us to really look at this and try to address the 100% import challenges we have in this uh, chips uh, from different countries um, have we done any progress in this definitely yes uh, we have recently heard vedanta uh, tata group are very active right now in this space and working with multiple uh, uh, international companies to set up base in india to address the local market demands and we will start with addressing the local markets and tomorrow we might even start exporting chips for other uh, countries i think that's where the journey is going to go india government has done a wonderful job of approving almost a 10 billion dollar package uh, in 2021 compared to 50 plus billion dollars from us yes it is less but it's a good start i definitely it's a good start the people in the government really understand semiconductors right now uh they are speaking the language with they should be speaking they have a fantastic support from the uh, market and it's very heartening to see all the parties actually have come together and absolutely there is no politics around uh, the semiconductor growth which is required in india and i think uh, the semiconductor mission which was uh, which was added uh, to the latest uh, has become a latest division in the digital uh, india corporation uh, is in the right direction and the whole idea is to create a prospering semiconductor and exhibit an ecosystem that will allow india to become a global center for electronic manufacturing and innovation i think we have taken the first step we really need to see how um, this this will help us take forward in not just in the design but also in the manufacturing um, i think that's the whole idea of trying to become uh, self uh, uh, sufficient right now uh, there are multiple design linked rewards uh, which is being touted uh, right now for an opportunity equivalent almost 50% of eligible spending on a product deployment will be done by the government of india um, uh, which is almost equivalent to 4 or 6% of net sales over the next 5 years period so there are multiple schemes which has uh, become a part of the semiconductor mission which i think every startup in india every manufacturer who wants to set it up should do a double click and try to look at um, the the uh, you know the sops which the government is giving and i think it's it's a right booster which the market needed right now uh in, in india unfortunately we do not have many startups who are in the hardware space you know i mean we known as a country you know who, who creating engineers exporting engineers but the hardware space is is not been there but then there are a few startups who are now entering or or, or been there already I mean, it's not that they're now entering been there for quite some time but they are now getting the right push you know because uh, of india semiconductor mission you know what do you think uh, somebody being in the space you know what do you think can be done to create a, a robust uh, uh, startup ecosystem here in india for semiconductor yeah, yeah rightly said right so if you really look at uh, sankhya labs for example this has been there from 2006 and it's actually the india's first fabless semiconductor solution company um it uh, developed the first uh, Uh, software-defined radios uh, way back, uh, which we call it as SDR chipsets. MOSCHIP is another fabulous semiconductor and IoT solution company, which is actually publicly traded in India for more than 20 years right now. So we we definitely have startups which has come into space. Recent one I would say say is uh, Steradin. You might have heard about this. I think last week uh, this company was acquired by Renesas, which is a primarily uh, you know premier supplier of advanced semiconductor solutions. just entered in an agreement to acquire uh, steradian uh, which is fairly a young startup i think these kind of acquisitions and investments in the startups will boost uh, many more people to get into the startup world um, you know if you really look at 
the two markets which is going to drive the india semiconductor uh, uh, this one would be one is definitely the smartphone the other one would be the advancement in uh, driver assistant uh, systems in vehicles in the autonomous market for example or in the automotive market which we call it as adas most of the companies are working in adas uh, right now most of the startups at least i have interacted with are primarily working in the adas space right now and i i can see a huge future for that and you will see a lot many more investments and acquisition in the space other companies which i think we should watch out for is tesol um, iwave um, zetacore blue semi crown ai uh, yi labs there are many companies actually working in the space right now and i think they have they have worked hard struggled uh, to be in a space which was uh, kind of neglected in the india market but today i think because of the years of experience in that market and being there persistently working on the designs which they're working on i think you will see a lot of traction uh, around this areas um and i think uh, one of the you know heartwarming thing to see was companies like qualcomm india are uh, intel uh, are collaborating with ministry of electronics and information technology which we call it as mighty center of development uh, for advanced computing for cdac um, and they are trying to fund the startups in these spaces so i think that's where the semiconductor industry uh, needed to go and we are it's very nice to see big companies like qualcomm and intel working in this direction um what additional things can be done i think more government swaps is required and um, uh, you know in one of the forums many years back um, you know i was talking to the government official and they asked me what do you think will help semiconductor uh, manufacturing and design in india one of the thing i mentioned was you know we should take a bold step of announcing that let's say any uh, uh, manufacturing uh, of a smartphone chip uh, which is less than 15000 rupees a smartphone can we look at having all the parts within this 15000 uh, smartphone made in india and uh, you know people smiled people looked at me and said you know i don't think that's possible very very heartwarming to see recently um in the government uh, senior officials were talking about actually making it happen and they're looking at um 11000 rupee phone can everything inside this can be made in india if you ask me do we have the capabilities definitely yes we recently saw a microcontroller from uh, microprocessor from uh, iit chennai uh, we already have released it so shakti processor so if you really think about it we have the design capabilities manufacturing capabilities is in the process so in a matter of time we will look at many homegrown products for india market and also for the global market i think that's where is pushing the india semiconductor industry right now right yes i th- i think we're in a very super exciting space you know especially the young blood of entrepreneurs you know asking brave questions and instead of just being a, a software based company you know they are looking at the space of hardware and and, and this is so heartwarming you know i think you know what's needed is you know like a more collaborative uh, uh, support you know from the ecosystem you know both from the government as well as the eco- uh, the 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 investor community and i guess that's that's the way you know i mean we like you mentioned we will be uh, you know hub in india who will be not just you know Uh, importing everything but building everything from scratch you know and that i hope that we, we go many many industry forums like uh, uh, tai uh, iesa nascom are doing wonderful job in in this uh, uh, specific uh, problem statement you just mentioned they are putting together making sure startups gets the required support um, puts the right mentors for them and gives them the platform for not just sustenance but also growth works very closely with the government organizations and they are actually the spokesperson for some of these startups uh, helping them get connected to the investors as well as the oems i think they've done a wonderful job in in this uh, segment right now. right you had recently written a book uh, system on chip a physical design a comprehensive guide could you kind of give a brief summary of the book oh definitely i mean um this was one of the things which uh, i i had it for a long time um because um, semiconductors and vlsi is not new for india or the world right i mean i i finished my engineering in 90s and uh, i had vlsi subject as an elective back then itself um but what i have seen is uh, the textbooks uh, th- there are uh, things have not changed they try to uh, put everything together in one book and that becomes a challenge because the technologies have progressed so much today that you cannot put architecture synthesis test physical design verification and all in one book and expect a reader to read it so that's when we started looking at what are the key distinct areas in in a chip design and address one of the areas so physical design is one of the most important uh, 
um, aspect of the chip design. So we thought, uh, let us give it a try. And I collaborated with uh, Mrs. Wiener and uh, addressed one part of the whole chip design, which is the physical design. Uh, I think the majority of uh, uh, semiconductor engineers in India are either working in physical design or verification. So that's another reason what motivated me to look at physical design. And we came out with a book which just talks about physical design and not really the entire uh, uh, chip design process. Uh, of course, future uh, is to look at different steps and start addressing each one of these processes and write a book. Uh, we have already started working on the associate architecture book because I think that's what will be very important for startups and uh, the entire ecosystem because there is no specific book on architecture right now. So we have just given a proposal to Springer Publication who published our book earlier. Uh, most probably we'll get the acceptance. Once we get the acceptance, we'll start looking at the architecture. So that's the idea we have. We want to break uh, break up the entire chip process, uh, chip design and manufacturing process and start uh, looking at each uh, section and come out with a book which addresses that particular section because uh, we need much, much bigger workforce to address the demands in the market right now in India. Lovely. We, we wish you the very best for the new book. And I hope once that happens, you know, it'll really help the ecosystem, you know, and possibly there'll be more uh, students, more entrepreneurs, you know, get, get getting into the space. Uh, now, you are part of Synopsis Inc. You know, could you talk about your role plus the products and services that that's being built at Synopsis? Definitely. So Synopsis is an electronic design automation company. We call it as an EDA company that primarily focuses on design verification. Uh, silicon IPs and software security and quality, which we call it as application security. That's what the company does. Um, we, we are almost a $5 billion company. Um, we've been in existence for more than 30 years. Synopsis India has been in existence for uh, 25 plus years in India right now. We started in Bangalore, but we have presence right now across India in multiple sites. Um, worldwide, we have around 17,000 people. And in India, we are almost uh, 4,000 people right now. Um, and everything you need to enable innovations from chips to software, uh, Synopsys is there. So Synopsys technology is at the heart of innovation that are changing the people work and play. That's that's the whole solution from Synopsys right now. In Synopsys, there are multiple uh, business verticals. One of the business verticals is called a Silicon Realization Group or SRG. Um, I work uh, in SRG as a SPOC for India managing the R&D team and uh, product engineering team in that, and also manage the global team of technical publication and customer education. So overall in SRG, we have 1000 plus engineers in India, as I told you, across Bangalore, Noida, Hyderabad, and Mumbai right now. Besides the semiconductor, you've been deeply, deeply vested in, in education, you know, right from advising to investing in startups. You also have your own, you know, tech space where you've been doing. Could you could you talk about uh, the evolution in the education industry? Because, you know, so far, I think we have been stuck into the past you know i mean and that's largely the case with almost all the industries you know while we have kind of you know thrusted or you know moved into the future you know we're in 2022 but we still hold on to a rote learning educations you know so so somebody who's been invested in the space what could be done to correct india's education industry and while you are at it maybe also explain the growing role of technology in the democratization of ed education sure see the whole education system in india was completely based on service mentality right? the whole idea was to create uh, engineers create students, learners who will work for someone. I mean, that was the whole premise of education earlier. So rote learning was an integral part of this because we wanted people to follow a, you know, set processes because it was primarily into service and manufacturing industry. But today we are looking at creative uh, industry, right? So the same education system is not gonna work and rightly said, what are the challenges with rote learning? You know, you know, as a child, if you remember, we, we always uh, uh, read this rhyme, which was Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. You know, usually water is found in the ground. Why the hell did these guys go up to, uh, to, to go to the hill to get the water? Have you ever asked this question? Do, do you see any child asking this question? Never, because they get into this rote learning all the time. And that's the real problem with rote learning because they don't get into the why part of it. And today's 
industries, tomorrow's future is completely dependent on the Y output. That's the reason why rote learning has to be stopped. And that's exactly what the whole market is going through right now, the, the whole education market is going through. Because it's very, very important to understand the context before blindly doing the rote learning. The, you know, the, there is a, another rhyme, uh, nursery rhyme, which you might have heard, uh, which basically is, uh, goes like, uh, um, you know, uh, rain, rain, go where little Johnny wants to play. And if you really think about it, there is an equivalent Kannada rhyme in Karnataka, which basically says, huyo, huyo, malaraya, which means, please rain. Just imagine, right? You have a rhyme in English, which says, stop raining. You have a rhyme in Kannada, which says, Please rain. Without understanding the context, if you start putting cut and paste of an you know English rhyme in India, students cannot connect to it, and that's one of the biggest problems we have at road learning. So that's the reason why I say we need to go to the why part of it and not really the what part of it. Uh, how can we change? The first thing we really need to look at is assessments. We need to change our assessments because, as an educational um, uh, policymakers or even companies, right? We are very, very good at identifying what the person does not know, right? Let's look at an interview process. In the interview process, instead of asking what the person knows, we are hell-bent on finding out what he does not know, what he or she does not know. Education system also has become the same thing. In the examination, we don't try to find out what the person knows. We try to find out what he or she does not know because it's easier space to work with. I think the first thing which needs to look at is change the way you know, we assess students. I think that's that's where we need to go. If you really look at the parameters of uh, democratization, as you as you rightly asked, it's all about access, access to content, access to teachers, access to other schools and colleges, access to experts and mentors. And this democratization of access can happen only with technology. And that's exactly where a lot of those ed tech companies and the uh, you know, schooling is going towards right now. What is government doing? National Education Policy 2020 is exactly what was needed for India. And we have taken 10 steps ahead of most of the other countries. We are envisioning a high quality education system that contributes to an equitable and vibrant knowledge society. We want to go from service society to knowledge society. And I think the NEP or the national education policy is definitely the right thing which we have adopted. It is the whole focus is to create true global citizen. And, um, and how do we do it? Right. We look at instilling skills, values, character. Uh, around sustainable development and living and global well-being. I think this is the main theme of the NEP right now. And if you really look at the whole NEP, uh, of course, you know, we don't have time to get into the NEP, but if you ask me what are three or four things which is happening in the NEP, we are looking at, uh, uh, you know, foundational learning and numeracy skills through innovation mission by 2025. We are looking at 100% gross enrollment ratio in preschools to secondary level by 2030. We want to bring back two crore students who are outside the education system into the system right now. We want to look at preparing teachers for assessment reforms, as I mentioned earlier, uh, as soon as possible. We are looking at building an inclusive and equitable education system by 2030. We want to change the board examination and start looking at testing the core concepts and application of knowledge rather than trying to understand what the person does not know. We want to ensure that every child who comes out of the schools will be proficient with at least one skill or more and common standards of learning in public and private schools. These are some of the key highlights of the NAP. And uh, as we speak, we have already seen implementation of NAP in the universities, in the colleges, and in the schools. Karnataka was the first state to implement NAP in the higher education. And uh, more and more, we see implementation of NAP in the school levels and in the college levels. So I think we are in the right direction. As I told you earlier, we have taken 10 steps ahead of most of the other countries, and we will be a model country definitely on changing the whole education system in the world in the next uh, 10 years. So very, very optimistic. And uh, thanks to everybody who works at a core committee in the NEP, as well as the government, who actually made it happen.
lovely super best so i think we'll be sitting in an exciting point of time i think in the next few years the the way we been educating ourselves for doing healthcare or work and it, that that completely stands to change and and yes because i think you know we we are really looking at uh these problems and challenges in a different lens rather than a old lens and and yes exciting exciting space and and there are some youngsters in in, in great minds such as yourself who who have been part of the ecosystem and trying to you know bring about real world change and, and so i'm really really exciting for all of these exciting space and you know you mentioned for for the education space you know bringing the ones who don't have access of education is going to be the key you know because so far you know education has been you know largely for the ones who are sitting in the urban areas and the privileged lot you know but possibly through tech we could bring in that other half which is in the rural areas who are deprived and you know and just imagine a world in india with where we've got 100% literacy and you know the kind of products and innovations that we could be building you know would be super awesome any advice to students and entrepreneurs out there first of all i think we need to understand how technology will play a very important role right so yes there is good and bad uh, with with the technology which we should be aware of um, it, it's a beast to be tamed for your advantage it can bring in a lot of distractions uh, for students but at the same time can be a big booster and enabler for learning um, as as mentioned earlier technology is only way to scale education and increase access for it now uh, earlier children used to come to school for information today they get information everywhere so assimilation of information is more important for them so sometimes either it's surplus information or insufficient information which which actually makes it very difficult for engagement in the classroom um you know exposure to engaging and interesting channels of information uh, most of the students have fantastic access to very interesting channels of information whether through youtubes khan academies uh, tvs um, you know uh, web series etc so classroom management is becoming a big challenge right now uh, earlier we were talking about interdisciplinary education i think that's already a passe we need to look at transdisciplinary uh, education system um, so as a student or a learner i think it's very very important for us to focus on three things self discipline because as i told you it can be a big distractor academic integrity right everything is out there in front of you so if an exam is given to you online do you have the academic integrity to make sure you know you don't cross the line uh, and self care because a lot of this engagements happen on on a chair right now are you sitting comfortably are you taking care of your health i think as a student self discipline academic integrity and self care will become primary role uh, with the technology i think this is something which we need to look at and and it's not about uh, you know uh, looking at learning ability but it will be more about learning agility i think as a student that's where uh, you will see a lot of uh, change happening there and i think um, if you are a high school student or a college student for example i think what you need to do is you need to pick a specific area and go very deep in that uh, area to become an expert in this market requires tall thin person which means you need someone who will go deep in a technology and not a short fat person who knows something of everything so it's very very important for students in the college in the undergrad and the pg level to pick an area which they are really interested in and go very deep in that uh, area and how can you do it of course there are multiple ieee papers follow professors who are working in that area and multiple books are there in that area so that's the advice i want to give to the students where do you get information about these companies about uh, what intel works on what uh, qualcomm works on what mediatek works on what synopsys and cadence works on please visit the company's websites you will you you know most of these websites offer tons of information regarding technology roadmaps uh, challenges uh, faced by the industry open uh, problem statements and solutions being offered and the market conditions i think the websites today are very enriching uh, i would suggest all the students and the entrepreneurs to start looking at these areas and again for specifically about for entrepreneurs i think you need to go deep into the market and technology and start looking at the trends of the market and track it very very closely one suggestion i have please work on tomorrow's problem and not today's problem because there are umpteen number of people who are already working on today's problem and most probably they already have a solution which you might not know pick up weak signals the the whole premise of any startup not just in semiconductors in every vertical 
is the leaders who pick up weak signals because a lot of times it's very easy to neglect the weak signals because we think it's noise. But if you are a good entrepreneur, you can actually pick up the weak signals. And how can you pick up a weak signal? You need to be, uh, uh, you know, up to date in terms of the marketing technology trends. And once you pick up the weak signal, eliminate the noise, come up with the future ready solutions. I think that's where you go. And more information you want, of course, you can connect with me. I'll be more than happy to connect you with, with the right set of people who might be working in that area, either in the professors or in the startup world or in big companies where they're ready to fund these kind of research and product ideas uh, in the market. Uh, where can they reach out to you best? Of course, LinkedIn. I would suggest uh, LinkedIn definitely is uh, one option. And uh, Facebook, uh, many of my students, uh, peers are connected to me on Facebook. Uh, I know it's pretty old. I'm old. So we still use Facebook. Uh, if not, uh, LinkedIn definitely is a professional uh, platform on which you can reach out to me. We'll be more than happy to uh, talk to you guys. Lovely. Dr. Srivananda, it was a complete pleasure and honor to have you part of the podcast. It was a complete learning experience for me and I'm sure it's going to be for the listeners also. Uh, my last question to you, you know, in the course of conversation, you mentioned that, you know, we are going really brave out, you know, when it when it comes to uh, innovation and technology, you know, we are creating these microchips, which could someday be mimicking the human brain. And I feel that... Uh, uh, the biggest mystery in, in, in the world, the black box, is, is the brain. You know, the way it fires and wires 80 billion neurons, you know. It gives about our entire senses, you know. And, you know, and we still do know very, very little of, you know, what, what the human brain does. Uh, now, you said that through these neuromorphic chips, you know, we could be possibly building, you know, machines which could not just have human level intelligence, but also possibly maybe those machines could be conscious uh, over the last maybe year uh, we, we've seen some exciting uh, things happening in the space of AI Elias Satskava from OpenAI is saying that maybe GPT-3A is slightly conscious then Blake Lemon the, the Google AI engineer which speci specifically looks at bias you know claimed uh, that the, GP uh, the, the Google uh, language transformer based language model lambda is conscious there are there are engineers uh, you know who are putting out these videos on youtube where they are coding artificial life in all of these stuff you know where we are uh, asking deep deep and like really deeper uh, questions I, I want your take you know what could you know, life look like in in in, in the future, and you know, maybe the next possible 20, 30 years. What what could civilization look like? And with all of these, you know, uh, technological advances, how could it impact civil society and businesses? I think you know, as you rightly said, we are looking at flying cars, no fossil fuel, um, less water, um, higher temperature, right? Climate. Um, machine which might be smarter than humans, um, higher population, higher life expectancy, digital twin, uh, interplanetary travel. These are the things which will definitely happen in the future. I think we are there. Right? I mean, it's not even prediction. This is something which is going to happen. The best way to approach this for me is to look at only the positive opportunities that exist in the future. Something which I call it as utopia, right? I mean, you, of course, you can talk about all the negatives which can happen in the future, but I think what is exciting is to look at the positives around us, which might shape the future, as you rightly said. 30 years down the line, I, I think I'm too small to even predict uh, what's going to happen in 30 years. But let me look at some of the predictions uh, which other people have done, right? I mean, Ray Kurzweil is one of them. He's, he's the guy who received more than 20 honorary doctorates um, um, from three U.S. presidents. He's, he's uh, uh, got awarded. He has you know, authored multiple books. Um, he's a principal inventor in many, many technologies. Uh, he's actually the co-founder of Singular Universities. And most of his productions are amazing and mind boggling I mean, just go through his uh, um, uh, YouTube channels or uh, uh, TED videos. You, you'll be surprised with the kind of predictions he has done. Of course, there are a lot of people who, who are countering it, but I really like some of the predictions he has done. And I think we, we are already seeing products in these areas. So what are some of the predictions, right? Self-driving cars being to take over the roads and people won't be allowed to drive on highways. I think this is happening. Um, definitely, uh, we will be able to see this in the uh, next couple of years. Virtual reality uh, uh, being 100% real. I mean, we start feeling VR is what the future is. 
uh, we will be able to upload our mind and consciousness. Um, basically, is mind on the cloud uh, kind of projects, the chip on the brain kind of projects, which uh, we have already seen Berkeley, Stanford's working on this areas. Non-biological intelligence will be a billion times more capable than biological intelligence, which is us. And I think it's definitely happening. Uh, nanotech foglets, which is primarily the self-configuring model of robotics, will start creating any object in physical world. So I, I don't think we will have uh, different physical worlds. Again, there are already prototypes existing in these areas. And I think we'll multiply our intelligence a billion fold by linking wirelessly from our neurocortex to a synthetic neurocortex in the cloud, which is called as hybrid thinking. I think this is something which I can see in future. Um, while we work on machine intelligence, I think it's equally important to work on human stupidity also, because we have seen both happening at the same time. So we need to be careful. Uh, yes, technology is there, uh, but the whole idea of technology, the whole idea of innovation should be for the betterment of the society, should be for the betterment of the people around us. I think that's the most important thing. So if we take it up positively, I think we have an exciting future uh, in, in, um, in the next couple of years. Before I end it, let me just uh, tell you what happened uh, just last year. I went to one of this innovation labs, which is right opposite uh, Stanford in uh, you know United States, and I met a person um, in a room which was called as Moonshot, and um, I I went to him and I said, uh, "What are you working on?" And of course, he took the permission to explain what he was working on, and uh, and he's a 19-year-old kid right? coming to me and saying, um, he first asked me, uh, "What's my background?" I told him, told him that I'm an engineer, I work in this company, I have X number of years and other things. And the next comment he made was very interesting. He said, okay, let me see how I can come down to your level, right? And that's exactly what he said to me. I looked at him and he said, um, okay, explain me what you're working on. And he said, he was working and he said, do you know that the, the trees can be grown in the labs? I said, yes, I've heard about it. He said, what do you do with the trees? You grow the trees in the lab. Of course, you work on accelerating the growth. Then you cut the trees and actually you make uh, tables and chairs and everything else. He said, instead of doing that, why don't we grow the tree as a table? I think very interesting concept. He actually is working on a technology where you can grow a wood, which is basically a tree, a living tree, onto any form factor you want. So that you don't actually have to grow the tree and cut it, but you actually can grow it much faster than, of course, the natural growth and then come out with the product. And I asked him, when do you think the product will hit the market? He said, uh, next uh, five to 10 years. And that's what kids are working on right now. So it's it's an exciting future for all of us. Um, we have seen multiple research projects, both in India, Europe, and US in the Asia regions. Very, very excited to see where the whole thing will go. And um, as, as a semiconductor company, as an EDA company, uh, we are there to boost designers, to design the chips and make sure it reaches the community. Um, so I think that effort will be on for all of us. So very excited to see where we are going to this. Dr. Really appreciate, uh, honored, complete privilege to have you have been speaking to you getting your insights and foresight on the fantastic journey uh, we can embark on if we care to take the information and do a deep dive you know because in a world which with got so much of information <coughs> sorry it's so very important like you mentioned you know to go narrower and, and do a deep dive and if you do that you know you could be building a preferred future so exciting space and you spoke about this this boy who's that there's <coughs> sorry uh, brian johnson from colonel who's been trying to do that from the longest time you know build out trees you know which could actually build out in products so super exciting space and that can only and only happen if we are asking brave questions you know so thank you for enabling that you know thank you for enabling and making more people you know ask brave deeper questions so really appreciate you thank you once again for being part of the podcast and to my listeners if you like what you see in here then please press the subscribe button until next time see you guys bye -bye. thank you doctor really appreciate this thank you very much